a lot of what he gives is through living life together with one another. And so we do that through what we call community groups. So if you're not yet a part of one, we encourage you to check us out. You can do that uh, just by stopping by the board. Um, you know, as you kind of head straight out of these doors after service, if you have our app, um, you can go on there and um, there's, a, there's a community group, uh, some curriculum and some content there on the front page. You click on that, you can explore our groups page, you can see the curriculum, the study guides that we're going to be using. And that goes for all of you guys. If you're part of our church, you're not looking for a new group, but you're wondering, what are we doing? Where do we get that content? It is there on the app. So we encourage you to check that out as well. We're starting a, a new study, a fresh look at the at, uh, the Ten Commandments, and um, so I would encourage you to be in touch with your group, be engaged with the scriptures, and uh, just look forward to, to God doing incredible things this semester. As it's different, it's weird, and um, you know we've sort of been socially distant and you know quarantined. There's there's so much going on, but I, I think we need one another. Uh, we've always needed one another, but I think times like this kind of um, reveal that even more. Um, and so I would encourage you to to take a step in. We will try to you know be as as accommodating to your um, needs as far as, you know, conviction and, and, you know, how you want to meet. Most of our groups will be small enough. They'll be in homes and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll not have masks and, and those sorts of things. But if that's something for you that is a, is a need, man, don't, don't hesitate to talk to the group leader and, and we want you to be engaged. And so uh, if you have any questions beyond that, there's uh, ways to contact us through the app or you can just say hi to one of us with a name tag or somebody sitting next to you. You can just be like, hey, uh, what group do you go to? Can you help me get connected? We would all love to do that, all right? All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's read this together. You've heard it before, I'm sure, in several different contexts, most likely a wedding, uh, but we're going we're gonna to set in it today in the context that is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, and um, so let's read it together, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. I'm actually going to start with verse 31 out of chapter 12, because uh, it's it's, it's helpful. Uh, remember, these, these chapters and verses were put in later, and they are helpful for many reasons, but sometimes they can uh, be unhelpful if you, if you don't take it all as, as a whole and a big uh, flow of thought. And so let's start with uh, verse 31 of chapter 12, and Paul says this, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... And have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love, but love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we, we pray that you would um, send your spirit to be powerfully present as we look at this uh, uh, perhaps overly familiar passage of scripture that, that you, Lord, would come and speak through it to our hearts for our good, Father, and for your glory. This is your word. We submit to it and we ask for your help in not only understanding it, but receiving it and applying it. Would you help us? Lord, we need it and we ask for it in your name. Amen. Well, uh, back in 1965, Jackie DeShannon, I didn't know who wrote the song or who sang the song, but I, had to, I knew the song. Um, and she uh, released the song, What the World Needs Now. And you know it, and you're going to be singing it now, is love, sweet love, right? And then a couple years later, the Beatles released the song, All You Need Is Love, right? And, and man, evidently, you know, that was a theme for the 60s, uh, perhaps not for the same biblical reasons that Paul has in mind here, but nonetheless was, was a theme. And, um, and, and it resonates, right? And everybody, even though it's, it, even though it's sort of presented as this playful idea, but it, but it resonates deeply, and, and we, we kind of we long for that. We go, yeah, that is, that is what we need. And, and man, especially in a, in, a, in, a, in a tumultuous season like ours, this current year, uh, in general, man, it, it seems to resonate even more, but seems perhaps even more further removed as a, a potential reality. Um, it, it seems like a, you know, a pipe dream of sorts or, or something, a, a noble idea to perhaps aspire to. Um, but it resonates. So much so that a passage like this from, Romans, or from uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is readily accepted um, in all sorts of different venues. And even not even you know, non-Christian things and events will use this, uh, this passage from the Scripture uh, even though they're not really presenting it as scripture, but more of a, of a poem about what love is. And, and, and we've heard it even, you know, read most commonly at weddings. And, but again, even at non-Christian events, it's often presented as, as this beautiful depiction of, of what love is. And, and yet, when we look at it here in the context of this book that we've been setting in, soaking in, digging around in, what, what, what the Lord is doing in the midst of this church that is that is really busted and struggling in many ways, uh, but not even just as much busted and struggling as they're just new uh, and they're young in their faith. The faith itself is young and they're trying to figure out how to um, do life together. They're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus as his church. And, and so Paul has, has been writing pastorally, answering their questions and then also addressing issues that he has heard been brought to him. He's, he's just been pastorally going from thing after thing after thing. And so this particular passage finds itself sandwiched in between two chapters where Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. And we have been talking about spiritual gifts. And, and, and what does that look like? And, and, and what does that mean, that, that gifts? Are they just something that God you know, kind of gives us to pacify us and make us feel good to be a part of the deal? Um, or is, is it something greater? We've been talking about it. it is indeed something greater. It is God working in us, right? through us even, right? Giving gifts to the church through individuals. And so um, that, that's where he's been. And then he, he throws this passage in. And that, and that can actually seem like what he did. He's just kind of like, ah, let me, let me throw that in. And it can seem a bit random, but whenever you, you, you stop and, and you, you, you examine what, what Paul is trying to get across to this, this young church, this divided church, this, 
this church full of kind of social climbing and posturing and uh, all those sorts of things and, and div- divided in, in a numerous ways of who they're following, who has these gifts, and, and all of these things. When you, when you look at it from that standpoint, actually, it's less about Paul defining love as an abstract idea and more about him uh, laying love as a, uh, a template, if you will, laying love over the, the life of the Corinthian church and, and correcting them. And, and we'll get to that in, in a bit. But I think that helps it have, it, it helps move it out of the ethereal kind of pipe dream, noble idea to aspire to and back into, no, 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 this is what God is doing in this world. Because we know when we hear this read at a, a wedding, it's, it's emotional. And, it, it, and it's, not, it's not that it shouldn't be applied to weddings. Don't, don't hear me say that. It's not wrong to read it in those contexts. It's just, it's just not all that it should be applied to, right? So it's not less than weddings. It absolutely should be applied to that, but it, it, it's actually more than that. So when we reduce it to just those sorts of things, then it, and we've, we're missing so much of it because really that, you know, that sort of language and exchange of vows and saying words that are similar to that um, is indeed you know, a part of what Paul is talking about here, but it's not the fullness thereof. Really, it's, it's kind of a signpost, if you will, a portion of what God is, is, is calling his people to and what he has displayed most fully in Christ. And so, yes, we see those people making that sort of commitment in those bonds, but we know, man, we, unfortunately, we're tainted by the reality that, that like 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And so when it says love never ends, you start to question what, but it, but it seemed to here, and it seemed to have there, and perhaps you yourself have experienced that reality, whether that be in your own home, from your, your parents' marriage not lasting, or from someone who was supposed to love you, but did not, or just in your own relationships as you have begun to explore that. Perhaps you have been wounded by that, and so it, it, it again seems like this disconnected you know, beautiful, poetic idea and less of a, of a reality. But here is where Paul is headed. And why we read the, the last verse in chapter 12 is because Paul has been talking about these gifts and God, God gives people this way, gives people these gifts, and, and it works together as a body, right? And he says, and that we should, all, we should be desiring these gifts. And he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. That, that's, again, not this hierarchy, you know, more important, but rather the ones that that uh, more explicitly edify and build up the church, the ones where, where God is, is most uh, you know, presently and most identifiably working in the moment to build up the church. Paul says we should be desiring those things, but, he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And so what we have is a group of people that have been experiencing some incredible gifts from God. They've been speaking in tongues. They've had prophecies. They've, had, they've seen people healed. They've seen miracles. It's been incredible the things that God has done in the midst of this church, this very broken and busted up church, right? This is not a perfect church who earned those things, but yet nonetheless, the Spirit of God is moving in these ways. And, and instead of rejoicing in the Lord, what they've started to do is rejoice in themselves. And they've started to use that as an as a opportunity to gain status or to look down on others. And Paul says, no, 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 let me show you what you should be desiring is indeed the spiritual gifts, but, but more than that, let me show you a still more excellent way. 
And then he leads into this beautiful passage, this beautiful poem-like passage about love. And here's where it stops being just this poetic, noble idea and a very present reality that we should be experiencing and living out. What we've been talking about with the, with the spiritual gifts and really even the, uh, a couple series prior to this, we talked about kingdom come and we've, we've talked about how the Lord indeed told us as his people, even as we pray, that we should pray, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that we're a part of bringing in that kingdom that Jesus came and ushered it, broke the gates open, brought the kingdom to bear on the world. And, and when he left, the kingdom didn't leave. Rather, it continues through his people as he sends his spirit to empower the people, us, the church, to continue his ministry. That's what we've been talking about in the spiritual gifts, right? That, that Jesus is continuing his ministry to the world, right? That, that Jesus is here present in Southern Illinois in 2020. And the way that he manifests himself is through the body of Christ, the body of believers. And he gives some these gifts and others these gifts. And together we work together to manifest the body of Christ, to, to be a witness to the world, to, to one another, to build up one another, and to experience Jesus as each one is given different gifts. It's this beautiful thing. And so we talk about the kingdom coming into the present. Well, That's not something that we do just by our natural abilities. That's not just something we do because we're good at this or good at that. It is the Spirit living out His ministry through us. And we're much in the same way when it comes to love. The same principle applies. That yes, this is a love that, man, we can only aspire to in our flesh. But through the Spirit of God working in and through us, It is the most powerful, the most potent, the most edifying, and the most glorifying gift that the church can experience and give. And in fact, it is, you know, this this picture of love is is the, the, the fruit of the Spirit coming alongside the gifts of the Spirit. That that's what Paul is talking about. So let's, let's jump into the rest of it here. And what Paul says is, is, is listen, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and that's, they've been experiencing people who have been given tongues and, and the spiritual gift of tongues, and they've been speaking in languages that only they and God can understand unless somebody gives an interpreter. And it's, a, it's an incredible thing, right? And we'll get into explaining that more in chapter 14. Uh, and so don't, you know, don't, don't leave us without coming back to, to, to hear a, a more of the explanation or just read the chapter yourself. I think it's actually quite, um, you know, understandable and will, will be helpful for you. But we'll get to that. But what Paul is saying is if, if I speak in those tongues of men, of angels, it's an incredible deal. You know, he says, but if I have not love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of y'all heard Josie rocking out on the drums earlier and hitting the cymbals? But did you even really make note of the cymbals? Probably not, because it's in the context of a, of a bigger purpose, right? It's, 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 it's written within the music, and it has a purpose in there. But if I just go back there, it's going to sound totally different, and you'll leave really quickly, right? If I start trying to play the cymbal because it's just, I, I, don't, I don't have the rhythm, I don't have the, the context of the music, and it will sound really awful. And that's what Paul is saying is if we are just speaking in tongues for the sake of speaking in tongues so that everybody can know that I have this prayer language with God and God is using me in this way and I don't have love, then he says we are like a a noisy gong or a clanging 
symbol. And he's going to go on to say, if I have prophetic powers, meaning if God speaks through me, gives me a word for the church, and, and everybody knows, oh man, God used him to deliver us a word. He says, if, if I do that and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, he's referencing back to some of those uh, sort of revelatory gifts that we've talked a little bit about in the earlier chapters, and we're going to talk more about prophecy in the next chapter. But, but he's saying, if, if I've got all of that going on, I understand God has given me all of the knowledge and all of the mysteries are explained. He's given me all of the, the words for the church. And, and, but if I do all of that, and I have all of the faith, he says, even to move mountains or to remove mountains... Right? We talked about the gift of faith, how some people are just like, yes, we, we, we have to believe in the Lord, right? Praise God, we, we, we trust in the Lord. That, that's, that's some, some of you have that gift where you're just, man, when, when it doesn't seem to be a way, but you feel like God has called this or ordained this, you choose to believe. It's the Joshua's and the Caleb's as opposed to the ten other spies saying there's no way. Joshua and Caleb says there is a way, and his name's Jehovah, right? He's done this for us before, and we're going to follow him. Paul is saying, even if I have that, that sort of faith to remove mountains, but I have not love. I'm not even a clinging symbol. I am nothing, he says. Nothing. And he says, if I give all away, or give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned or sacrificed, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, here's, here's the deal. We're seeing a lot of this happen in our world right now. And we have this intersection of, okay, the culture's in distress and, and trying to um, bring about some form of unity, harmony, or something, and there's opposing sides, and the division seems to be only widening in our country and even flowing into evangelicalism a lot about what do we do with issues of race, what do we do with issues of justice, what role do we play in the church, do we speak about it, do we not speak about it, and we have all of these people and, and there's these movements and these, these voices on TV and all of these places, and Paul is saying, listen, you can have the, the biggest social agenda in the world. And you can accomplish a ton as far as getting your voice heard and getting your message out there. But if you don't have love, then it's all for naught. You can even give yourself to that cause most fully and, and in, in the most uh, final of ways. You can, you can take Jesus' command to, to give away all your possessions. You can take that to its literal and, and its you know, in point and give away all of your stuff to this cause or even to the, to the church, to the poor. And it, but if you, if, you, if you don't have love, then it, you might just be doing that out of an idolatry for the poor. You might be doing that out of idolatry for this social movement, right? For you, and, and that's, that's easy to kind of paint in this, this, this picture of these movements that we're hesitant of or whatever. But on the other side, if we give all that we have to to advocating for our position on uh, worldview, our position on culture, our position on politics, our position on justice, and we do all of that and we put everybody down online and we, we speak, our, our, our voice becomes the loudest and we gain a following and everybody's in on what we're saying. If we do all of that but we don't have love, even if we're martyred for that cause, Paul says it doesn't gain anything. Why? Because it's not advancing anything helpful. It's not advancing anything that is for the good of the world. It's only for the good of that individual, right? That, that individual has some uh, idolatry of mission of this fill in the blank or whatever. And he's, Paul says it will gain nothing. Even if we become a hero of the culture, 
a hero of our movement, a hero of the church, if we've done it out of selfish ambition or gain or anything less than love, it's nothing. He goes on to say, here's, church, love is is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Again, as I said earlier, I think Paul is actually applying this very specifically to uh, what they were experiencing within their church, that he's not, it's less about defining uh, the, the abstract definition of love. Instead, he's laying love as a grid over the messed up Corinthian church. If you've been with us, you'll remember some of this. If not, you can, you can kind of look it up and, and see where he's been. But, but he, what he's saying is this church is messed up and they've got some things going on. And so he says they were boasting in men in, in chapter 3, 21. Really, the first four verses, they're boasting in this teacher, that teacher, this person having this ability, this person being good at this. They're boasting in those sorts of things. And so when Paul says, listen, it's not puffed up, it doesn't, it's not boastful, he's talking specifically to the church and the situation they were in. It says they're not puffed up even in, or they were puffed up even in wrongdoing. In chapter 5, they were, they were boastful of, of, of what they were doing. They were boastful of their own freedoms, their rights, their knowledge. So, well, you know, I know that this is causing this person to stumble, but, I, you know, I know what I'm doing. Or, hey, look at the way that we, we had a big crowd at communion and everybody ate till they were full and they were drunk and, and they're boasting about that or they're boasting about their sexual exploits. And Paul is saying, that, that, no, none of that is, is okay. So he's corrected that earlier in chapter 5 and he's addressing it Again, here, he says, they were unwilling to suffer long. That's what uh, the, the love is patient. That's what that, that literally translates into suffers long or long suffering. And, and that is uh, that's one of those things that we're not eager to engage in, right? Nobody's praying for that. That's the old adage, that don't pray for patience. The Lord might actually hear you and answer, right, and give you an opportunity for that, And so they weren't willing to suffer long and bear all things, so they were taking each other to court. These are the things, the real-life things that are happening in the Corinthian church. They were insisting on their own way and eating meat, right? That they were saying, well, this, I don't care if this person is stumbling. I know this meat is okay because that idol is not really a real idol, or is not really a god, so I'm going to eat the meat. I don't care what you think. And they're insisting on their own way, and they're causing others to stumble. They were acting in rude or unseemly ways without wear, when they were choosing not to wear the customary head coverings from chapter 11, 1 through 6. They were insisting on their own way when they ate their own meal at the Lord's Supper without any regard to others in chapter 11, 21 through 22. They were jealous and envious as they compared their spiritual gifts and thought that some were needed and others were not. And that's from the previous chapter in chapter 12, 21 through 22. So Paul, Paul is, 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 is calling them out for the way that they have been missing the mark. They've been missing the point of what God is calling them and the reason that God has given them, given them these gifts is not so that they could be puffed up. It's not so that they could feel better about themselves. And that's the whole idea we've been talking about. God doesn't give us gifts. We think about gifts in that way. Okay, what is my gift? I want to take an inventory so I can know what has God gifted me. Oh, I got this gift. That makes me feel good. I can't wait to use that. Or I, I got this gift of you know, service. or It doesn't seem that exciting. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bring me on stage. So I'm not sure if I have value here. And Paul says, no, you've got the whole wrong perspective. 
You started from the wrong place and you're headed toward the wrong place. You're headed in the totally wrong direction because what God is doing by giving you those gifts is advancing his kingdom. And his kingdom is a kingdom of love, first and foremost. I want you to think about what would Jesus' ministry have been if you removed love from it? So think about it. John 3.16 could say that God so wanted to show off to the world that he sent his son, couldn't it? It could say that. And Jesus did some showing off, didn't he? It's a big deal. He's going to make news. When there's a, there's a huge storm and Jesus tells it to stop and it stops, reporters are showing up, right? People are writing about it. That's a big deal. When, when there's uh, people who have been sick for years, people who have had to live in quarantine and isolation for years because they're, uh, they have leprosy, and if they get near someone, they could cause them to have it as well, and, and no one has any hope of healing them. But yet Jesus comes up, and instead of pulling away from them, Jesus reaches out and touches them, and they become, instead of Jesus becoming sick, they become whole. When Jesus tells men who have, haven't walked in years to get up and take their mat and walk, when Jesus tells uh, the, the people that are gathered around to, to hey, watch this while I, while I take this little boy's lunch and turn it into food for 5,000 plus. Like, those sorts of things are going to show off to the world, right? When Jesus tells Lazarus to stop being dead and that dude gets out of the grave, that's going to be noteworthy, isn't it? What if Jesus did all of those things, but he didn't have love? Would we be here today? Would we be gathered singing songs to him? rejoicing in the hope that we have in him? Or would it just be a, a you know, kind of a, a blip in the, the story of history that, that maybe we learned about in a, in a book? You see, this is what Paul is getting at, is, is this is the manifestation of Jesus at its most fundamental level, right? That as you think about, well, I'm not sure what my gifts are. I'm not sure if God's going to give me this or if I have anything to offer to the church or if I'll ever, you know, get it to, to be fleshed out in this way or that way. Or Paul's saying, listen, what matters the most is you can actually, you could set those gifts aside for a moment and what all of you can seek, what all of you can live out, what all of us should aspire to first and foremost is to be a people who are living out the love of Christ in the midst of the church. This is so fundamental to what Jesus was doing. We know John 13, 34 and 35, where, where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, this, uh, this is a new command I give to you. Love one another. And by this, the world will know you're my disciples. We know that, right? But do we think about what does that mean? Do we, do we think about that? Like, do, do we think... In our context, our church, like, do we love each other that way? Do we love each other this way? Are we patient? Are we kind? Not envying, not boasting, not arrogant, rude, not insisting in our own way, not irritable or resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but instead rejoicing in the truth or bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things? Is that us? Is that how we, we love one another? Listen. The true opportunity to show love comes whenever we have differences. Francis Schaeffer wrote about this in The Mark of a Christian. And he says, listen, when, when everything's going well, 
and we're all standing in circles in agreement, there's not a whole lot to note, is there? There's not a whole lot to report from that deal. Oh, they're all in agreement. But actually, when we have disagreements, he says there is the golden opportunity to show the world what love really looks like. Listen, church. If there's anything that we can take from this division, this season of, of life, this year, the division, the, the, the passionate disagreement, it's an opportunity to show love. It's a, it's a golden opportunity to show the world that there is another way to relate to one another. Amen? It's, it's an opportunity to show the world that we, we have a body of people that have vastly different opinions about masks, don't we? And yet, we have an opportunity to show that we, we don't demonize that other side. Right? We're not going to put them down and call them stupid or say that they are perpetuating some agenda or, or, or whatever. Instead, we're going to uh, live out the love of Christ where we are patient with one another, where we endure with one another, where we believe the best about one another, where we're, we're not resentful. And listen, we've, we've got a church that has differing degrees of, of passion and opinions on what the state of racism is in our, in our country, don't we? We have people who have, have, have gone to rallies or protest, rather. We've got other people who don't see how that could ever be something that a Christian would want to do. We've got differing degrees on, on political ideologies and candidates and what does it mean to be a Christian in this world and how could you vote this way. We've got all of that is going on. All of that is just getting constantly kicked up in our culture, constantly stirred up for us all of the time. And listen, we can either join the fray and dig into our side and, and keep put, trying to pull others there and put the other ones down. We can just join the noise, the, the noise that is a clanging cymbal and a loud gong that doesn't do anybody any good. We could do that. That's an option. But Paul says, let me show you a still more excellent way. Let me show you the most excellent way, and that is to love one another. You see, this begins to move out of this ethereal, noble idea into our everyday lives because much in the same way that Jesus came to be a healer, a worker of miracles, an administrator, a, um, a, a servant, and he gives those gifts to, to all of us to work out, he came to bring love, did he not? He came to pr primarily, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Romans 5, 8, that God loves us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, this is the love that Paul is talking about here. The Greek word he uses is agape, which there's four different Greek words. We're really anemic on our language here when it comes to describing love in the English. But there's, there's four different words in the Greek, and Paul uses the word for, for how God loves us, meaning there's, there's, not a, there's not something that's lovely about us. There's not something that, that, is, that, that God doesn't get a reward because he loves us, right? We're not beautiful and desirable in that way. It's not that sort of love. Rather, it is this... This, uh, this love of, man, 
of, of giving, this love of, of taking something that isn't necessarily lovely and giving of himself to make it lovely. And that's in the same way that he gives his spirit to, to, to manifest through healing and through prophecy and through teaching and he gifts his church in different ways. He, he gives all of us this gift, right? He gives all of us this calling is to be about love. Why? Verse 8, because love never ends. Again, he's not talking about the, you know, eros love, you know, kind of the root word of erotic love between romantic lovers. He's not, he's not talking simply about that, right? That's it's sort of a signpost. We've got brotherly love. We've got this just general affection, the way that I love, you know, tacos or my Jeep. Like, th- those are all a, a part of the deal, but they're, they're just signposts. They just sort of point to it. They relate to it in the same way that these lights or a candle uh, are sort of similar to the sunlight, but man, the sunlight is a totally different deal, isn't it? They're, they're signposts. They're, they point us towards something greater, but the love of God, the love that he's calling us here is the difference between the sunlight and these things, right? That make me not be able to see you all well, right? Like that, that's the difference between what, what we know and often are, are defining in love and what God is calling us here to. And so that sort of love that God is, is, has shown to us, has displayed to us, and is calling us to here in this passage, it never ends, This will never go away. What he says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. And for tongues, they will will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What does he mean by all of this? He's saying, listen, right now there's a point for prophecy. Right now there's a point for tongues. Right now there's a point for knowledge given to the church. Why? Because Jesus isn't yet here in the flesh. His kingdom isn't yet fully established. Amen. We're in the already but not yet where Jesus has indeed brought the kingdom to bear, but he is, he is sending out messengers. He's sending out disciples to continue to conquer, to continue to bring more people in. And one day, when all nations have heard, when, when his mission is complete, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to do away with all the evil and he's going to wipe this slate clean. He's going to renew the earth, not throw it away and get rid of it and do a new one, but rather renew it, get rid of all the sin and the evil, and then the city of God is going to come down and dwell once again with man. And in that moment, there'll, never, there'll no longer be a need for prophecy because we will have full knowledge. We will, we will not have to wonder what God is doing or receive that from a word because we'll be in his presence. We'll, have, we'll not need tongues of angels because we'll, we'll be in the presence of angels. We'll not need tongues because we'll all understand all of that. We won't need knowledge because it will all be fully recognized. In the same way, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Right? There's nothing, he's not saying that's wrong. But he says, when I became a man, I, I gave up childish ways. Listen, we are like that child who is learning, who is experiencing, who is growing to understand more what maturity is, more what it means to be with Jesus, more what it means to be like Jesus. Paul's saying that's what's happening right now in the midst. That's why I'm giving you these gifts. That's why I'm revealing myself in this way. But he says there's going to come a day when the perfect is going to come and that will no longer be necessary. Verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly we, we sort of see it. We see it partially. We're, we're making out different pieces. And the longer we look, the more we can sort of, you know, discern and make out. But he says, then we'll see face to face. Man, that's going to be a good day. When we see Jesus face to face, 
fully recognizing the kingdom come to bear, fully recognizing justice at its most complete, fully recognizing healing at its most complete, and and all of our longings are made whole. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We're going to come back to that. But he says, now faith, hope, and love abide. What is he talking about here? He says there, there's those three things that, that, that point us to the future. Because this is what we should be, church. We should be signposts of what is to come. We should be little outposts of the kingdom that, is, that Jesus has already established and will fully consummate one day. We as the church should be living that out as outposts and, and, and little, you know, lighthouses of the kingdom that is going to come fully. He says that's, that's, that's what we should be, and we should be longing for that day, that that is going to come, and that's what we should be longing for. Not spiritual gifts here just for the, the sake of it, but rather spiritual gifts so that we could be cultivated into the image of Christ and become more like him. In the same way, we are called to love in this way, and that love points us ahead to the future. And he says now these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. What does he mean? Well, faith is what, what gives us, as, as Hebrews says, it's the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen, or substance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not seen, rather. Meaning we, we, we look ahead to the, to the day when we, we believe in faith of what Jesus has done, and he's assured us that he will do, and then, and then hope. Man, we're looking ahead to the day when all of this will be sorted out. We don't have to wonder what the world's going to be like and what the, what the final effects of the pandemic or who's going to win the election. We have hope beyond that because we have a hope in a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. Amen? We have a hope for that. We're looking ahead to that, and we're living that out in increasing measure here in this day. And he says, and also love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Well, because There's a hymn written back in 1862 by Christopher Woodsworth called Gracious Spirit, Holy Ghost. And it says this, faith will vanish into sight and hope will be emptied into delight. Love in heaven will shine even more bright. Therefore, give us love. What does he mean? When we get get to heaven, when, when heaven gets here, rather, like when we're in the presence of Jesus, we'll no longer have a need for faith because our faith will be made sight. What we've longed for and believed in through faith in Jesus, we will lay eyes on him. It will become sight. And our hope, what we've longed for and and looked forward to and and clung to as what gets us through, it will be rolled over into delight. It will be recognized fully, and it will no longer be a part of the kingdom of God. The people of God in the new heavens and new earth will not be a people of faith or hope because both of those things will be fully realized. Amen? But you know what the people of God will be in the new heavens and the new earth? People of love. That love will shine even more bright, the hymn says. That we will be a people who, who continue to love one another in that way. And, and, and it will be so fully realized, like seeing in a mirror dimly, and then it being wiped clean, and we see most fully face to face. That's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And so we, we don't dismiss that and just wait for that. We long for a, a greater revelation of that. We long for a greater experience of the kingdom here and now. That's what Jesus means when he says, pray and be about the work so that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Like we shouldn't be passively just coming to church and checking our box and waiting until you know, we get there. We should be uh, laboring and longing and desiring and praying for more of the kingdom to come here and now. And the primary way that we see that happen is not through gifts of preaching, teaching, Miracles, no, no, those, those help, right? Those are, 
Those are indicators. Those are things that build up. But, but the primary way that we see the kingdom come on earth is through this sort of love. This sort of love. Church, we've got all kinds of opportunities to display to the world the love that Jesus has called us to. May they look upon us and how we navigate differences. Right? The ones that are present with mask and racism. And, right? There's all sorts of political and the ones that are going to come in the future. There's going to be more things to have opinions on, more things to divide on. Right? We've, you've, some of you have lived through worship wars in the church. Some of you have lived through, some of you have left churches and, you know, because of infighting and some of you have seen this more up close and personal. We're going to have opportunities to show God's love because we're going to have times of disagreement. May this be true of us. May we be a people who exhibit the patience and kindness of Jesus. May we be a people who, like Jesus, didn't envy or boast. I want you to think about how Jesus embodied all of these things. And this, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, or if you're just wondering, how, how do I get to, like, yeah, I want to be more loving, I want to be more patient, I want to be more kind. It's not about you, you know, uh, achieving some later, greater level of, you know, growth or maturity. Rather, it is about you increasing in your walk with Jesus. It's about Jesus increasing in you, right? The Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is really similar to what he's talking about here, isn't it? You look in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, hope, patience, joy, love, kindness. Like, like that's, that's what God is wanting to manifest or work out in us. That, that, that the greater that Jesus increases in us, the more we will be like this. And so that's our call today is to, is to receive more of Jesus to receive more of Jesus, to be more like him in our love, to desire spiritual gifts, yes. But before we do any of that, the, 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 the foundation that we should uh, have our gifts laid on and the, the work of the church that may go forward as he increases in the way that he shows his gifts should be one of love, loving one another, enduring one another, believing the best about one another, not keeping a record of wrongs when it comes to one another not being irritable, not insisting on our own way, not rejoicing at wrongdoing, rather rejoicing with the truth. Because indeed, this is how Jesus has treated us. Amen? Jesus could have looked at us and said, man, they are just not worth loving. They don't seem to care. I've given to them. I've given to them. They keep wanting to do their own thing. They keep insisting on their own way. They don't care about me. Like Jesus could have done that, but instead, he came and gave himself most fully and totally and completely on the cross so that we could be saved. Let's pray. God, I'm hopeful that you will uh, take your word and um, embed it in our hearts, that we would become a people who display your love to one another and to the world. Jesus, may we gaze upon you this morning and may that lead to an increase in our love 
an increase in our joy, an increase in how we are postured toward you and not to our own kingdoms, not to our own agendas, but, but that we would long for more of you and that that would lead us to, to long for the best of one another and to look out for one another and to call one another up and to build one another up. Lord, I pray that the, someone uh, may be listening or here that, that doesn't yet know you and is not sure how this fits, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them and that they would see that they get new life when they surrender to you, Jesus, and that you would give them the faith to do that this morning, that they would be saved. Help us, Lord. We're your people longing for you. Work in our midst as we sing this song, Lord. May your spirit come. Move in us. We ask it in Jesus' name.